Stairwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined by Nia. Hi. How are we editing this? Because we I was literally about to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um. So, what you are listening to right now is a little intro segment, and then you are going to hear a segment that we recorded last week that was going to happen before our akira episode proper um we had many technical difficulties last week and so um we ended up not recording uh or not watching and recording a full episode about akira but we did record like 30 40 minutes of content i think so yeah this right here that you're hearing is a little intro bit to explain what that is and then I'm going to cut in a few seconds, and you're going to hear that news, the segment we recorded last week, and then you'll come back and you'll hear us this week. Sorry I messed up your little intro. No, no, no. It was very fun to roast you. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that you forgot how we were doing this. No! <laughs> I'm not dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's been like a week. <laughs> no, no. I had a plan. Where I was going to intro segment from last week, segment from this week, um, and you just gave- Well, hi everyone, I'm Nia. You just gave me an opportunity to make fun of you, which you know I love. Um, yeah. Um, for the astute listener who's like, does Autumn sound different today? I do. For the, uh, historically minded listener- um, you may recall the episode of Hot Singles, the first one that we had Nia on, where I recorded with the microphone in my uh, bedroom windowsill, and I'm back in that recording segment, beca- or setup, because Nora is playing Dungeons and Dragons right now. <laughs> so, anyway. I mean, good to know that you are uncomfortably seated during all of this. Yeah. Um... I guess I'll just cut now to stuff from last week. 
Hello and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn, uh, and I'm joined by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. I feel like that's the, just like the smoothest landing I've ever had on that intro. I feel like I usually stumble through it a little <laughs> bit more than that. Um, yeah, I thought maybe we were just going to go into the podcast and it would just go unremarked upon how smooth and like easy this intro was after all of our intros have like <laughs> multiple takes and everything, but no. <laughs> Hi everyone. We're we're talking about we're talking about making the sausage while we make the sausage. <laughs> um um Sorry, I read a funny tweet. I'm sorry. I'm closing Twitter. I'm closing Twitter. Um so we're here today to talk about Akira. Uh Akira. 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 Um, Emily, Emily was trying to coach me on how to say Akira. It's funny because it's like one of the like <laughs> speaks some Japanese. <laughs> it's one of the most common names in Japan, from what I understand. Yeah, it's just that I want, in my American way, to say Akira, and I know that's wrong, but that's closer to right than the way I overcorrected to Akira. You know. Yeah. Anyway. The the thing that I always just find difficult with Japanese is that, like, there really is an accent on any syllables, and that's just, like, not how other languages that I speak operate. <laughs> right. Um, And it's just, like, very hard to, like, remove all accent off of all syllables. Um, and also, with that name in particular, both, like, this movie being in many ways, like, for large swaths of America, like, the introduction to anime, um, I think it has, in some ways, like, shaped that, as well as just, like, I know that his name is not pronounced Akira Kurosawa, and yet that's, like, how it was taught to me when I right. was, like, first getting into Kurosawa. Right. Which is, you know, would be, like, Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> I mean, this also, like, ties into just, like, the weirdness of, like, um, like, just every famous Japanese person and, and, you know, Chinese person, um, and people from various different countries in this part of the world, like, every single one of those people in English, we just flip their names around, um, you know, uh, probably not great that we do that, but we do do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's weird too, because like, I feel like if people are listening to the podcast and may have noticed that like, sometimes I say Japanese names in like, you know, family name and then given name mm-hmm. order. And then sometimes I say it flipped and it's like literally just down to when did I like start learning about that like director or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know. Like, I often say Akira Kurosawa because it's just how I learned it. Like, I learned it in that flipped order. Whereas, if I go and I'm talking about, like, Tokyo Drifter or something, then I'm going to say Suzuki Seijun because, like, I watched it at a point where Mm -hmm. I was getting really into Yakuza cinema and then I was, like, more intentional about trying to say names the, like, correct Japanese order. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
But anyway, this is just a vamping digression into um, <laughs> saying Japanese names because we currently actually have not watched the movie because of technical difficulties. We're going to watch it. Yes. This episode will have us having watched it. <laughs> But we figured while I'm resolving these technical difficulties, we could record a little bit. Um, yeah, the the movie is down, but we are loading up a solution um, to the issue that we are having. Um, and mm-hmm. so we are just running down the clock while that happens. Um, and uh, one, have you seen any movies in the two weeks between episodes? Um, I have, I've only seen one movie. I just, I had like a kind of busy and weird and in some way stressful, like week and a half. Um, so, but yeah, I, I watched Empire Strikes Back. Are you familiar with this one? Uh, yeah, I think Nora and I watched that like a, maybe two years ago now, I guess. Uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, also, I guess I saw it like a zillion times as a kid, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so obviously, this is in the like continuing quest that Emily and I have to um, just watch through these Star Wars movies in like in universe chronology for the first time in our lives, um, just to see how that works out, and. So The Empire Strikes Back is actually the first Star Wars movie that I ever saw. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I I like looked this up once. I I forget if I like specifically texted you about it or something. Um but I like I found the toy set that uh was the thing that got me into Star Wars, but basically like as a kid um I'm currently, while saying this, trying to, like, vamp as I look for this. But, um, so as a kid, like, yeah, it was 1997, or no, that was the the theatrical stuff. Yeah. 93, I think, is when this Ice Planet Hoth Micro Machines toy came out. And I saw it in, like, I don't remember what, it wasn't Target, but it was, like, one of those where you go and it's, like... You're mostly there to buy groceries and things, but also there's toys and you run to the toy aisle. It was probably Meyer. Um, yeah, okay. Just okay. being from the Midwest. Um, and I saw that toy and like often I would look, I would go to the toy section and I would want something and like we were poor. My family couldn't buy me anything. Um, but that was, we had five, like I was the youngest of five. So I think also they're kind of just like, just go play, like look at toys go look at toys while we shop (laughs) just like entertain yourself with looking at toys that you can't have um but i was like i really want this set because it just looked cool i always liked snow stuff and like sci-fi stuff vaguely um and my dad was like i think in a way where my dad had for a long time wanted to introduce me to star wars but like was always very intentional of like would wait until I expressed interest like vague interest in something and then it would be like 
oh, you are, like, vaguely interested in spying? Let's watch, like, every single James Bond movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, this is how, like, my dad operated when it came to movies and, like, watching movies with me. Um, Would, like, wait for, like, the smallest inkling. So my dad sees me want this toy and is like, okay, I'm going to buy you this toy, but on the condition that we are going to go to the video store and we're going to rent, like, the trilogy and we're going to watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I was so insistent that I wanted to watch the movie that the toy was from that I was doing <laughs> that the compromise that we reached is that I was going to watch all three, but I watched Empire Strikes Back first, and then we watched through the entire trilogy. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> so I watched Empire Strikes Back first. Is the and it, Yeah, it was in 93, because um, it was like when this toy came out. So it was before the special edition stuff. Um, and so I think, like, I originally watched it, and I think we would rent sometimes like multiple times because I believe especially at that point like Star Wars was in the there's like a budget section where um it was like fairly cheap to to rent the movies um so it wasn't like a new movie like new movies would cost a lot more um and so I know I rented it a lot and then I don't know if we ever actually owned the VHSs or not Um, But I know that, like, the copies that I have now are the first, like, special edition where, you know, they have Han stepping over (laughs) Jabba's tail in, Uh like, A New Hope and everything. It's Um, my favorite edition. Just the Han going, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, but I feel also that, like, for a long time, so I, I watched these movies a ton as a kid just like obsessively um star wars became my favorite thing uh in like this huge way and for a while like the way that i have watched star wars is if i'm incredibly sick um i watch aliens and star wars on vhs i still have my copies and i will just watch them while i'm like drifting in and out of sleep on the sofa why (laughs) Um, aliens (laughs) Because I also really... It's just, like, these movies that I know extremely well. Okay. um, Because I also watched Aliens a lot as a kid. I just really liked Aliens as well. Um, Again, I was probably allowed to watch movies that (laughs) I should not have been watching as a kid. This is Um, funny knowing that your dad is a pastor, and so I'm like, I just (laughs) would have assumed that he would have been like, you can't watch that, it's far too violent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, my dad was... There are images that people have as a pastor... um, we sometimes joked because so like the the church would um, basically move my dad to places where like a specific congregation was struggling a lot. Like they were like losing membership. It was not doing well because he was like very good at like actually bringing people back in and like rejuvenating congregations. Um, and so we joked that he was like a uh, like any repairman because he was very good at fixing things, but also the like stereotype of the repairman is like, they have their ass crack hanging out as they're under the sink. Mm -hmm. Um, and my dad is just like, is a very, like, is also coming from this German side that I've talked about that is like very open about sex and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my, my dad is also a very vulgar man at the same time as being a pastor. Like <laughs> this, this is, this is the nature of my dad and who he is, um, is that like one of his favorite movies is, uh, revenge of the nerds, a fucking terrible, awful movie. So. <laughs> and like very, um, like gross sex ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, 
But yeah, anyway, this is my first time, like, really sitting down and watching Empire Strikes Back as, like, I am thinking about this as a film and not just something that I drift in and out of sleep <laughs> while watching while incredibly sick. Um, and so for a really long time, I probably would have said that this is my favorite Star Wars movie. And now it's just like, no, it's Star Wars. It's, you know, it's a new hope. It's like... The, the first one is probably my favorite Star Wars movie because it's just fucking great. It's um, fucking it's a perfect movie. Yeah. <laughs> to steal um, a line from it, Nora. <laughs> yeah. This one is interesting because of how much you can see, like, they have a bigger budget now. Mm-hmm. Um I like you know, episode four, Star Wars A New Hope, or back then just Star Wars mm-hmm. was such a massive success that um like they actually were able to do a, a higher budget. It still looks a little bit like it's not like to the level that some of the later Star Wars stuff gets. Like you can still kind of see that this is like, but this is like starting to move out of that like B movie territory. That is, I think, for me, part of the charm of the like original Star Wars now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it it's like I still enjoy it a lot. There's just parts that like um trigger like patterns in my brain where I'm just like I love this. This is this is my childhood to me. Um but I was also able to watch it and be like, "Oh, I don't think this is actually as good of a movie." Mhm. <laughs> um and I the thing that, so I have always not liked Empire as much as I like uh Star Wars. Um and when Nora and I were watching Star Wars ahead of Rise of Skywalker, the thing, I still feel that because I feel like Star Wars just like functions better as like a movie that exists. Like, yeah, like Empire can kind of only exist as a sequel. Like it, it, it can't be any like it. it it just doesn't make any fucking sense if you didn't see the first one. Yeah. Um. It's also weird because one, it like it can only exist as a sequel. Like it is funny that it's the first Star Wars I watched because you don't know who any of these fucking people are if you no. watch the first movie. But also it like it begs for a sequel. Like yes. this one is so much more asking for like, yes, this is going to be a trilogy. We're like signaling this. Um everything is like intentionally incomplete in a way where it's like we need to resolve things um that yeah just makes it like i appreciate its place within the trilogy but like as a standalone movie i'm just like this actually doesn't really work that well (laughs) yeah but the thing that i learned to appreciate empire for um the most recent time i watched it was that like ah this is where star wars becomes star wars because yeah to me um, and this is like the thing that the Disney movies never do, I felt like, um, is that like, this creates like, Empire, I think very intentionally goes about the business of creating gaps of like, ah, here's like, space in between the two movies. Um, and we gradually like shift into a different status quo after that first movie and so you can tell all sorts of stories in there and like oh who are all these like bounty hunter guys that we introduce you can tell stories about those guys 
who the fuck is Lando? How do him and Han know each other? Like, um, like Empire to me, um, is where Star Wars starts to feel like Star Wars because the thing that I love about Star Wars is that you can always in your head make up more Star Wars, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and A New Hope is like tidy in a way where. Like, I was thinking about it, too, because so much of Star Wars now is, like, let us show you all these different planets and locales. And it's actually one of the things that, like, annoys me about, like, Clone Wars and uh, new Star Wars movies is that so often they just keep, like, repeating the same planets Mm -hmm. or doing, like, basically the same planet. But it's a different desert world now. And it's just, like, you should just keep doing, like, there are supposed to be, like, thousands of planets and, like, worlds out there. Just, like, keep giving me different worlds instead of having it be this, like, weird small microcosm. Yes. Um, And this one feels like a small microcosm, but in a way that I think makes more sense because it's like, oh, this is a small rebel faction that's, like, building up on these worlds. And it is still just, like, like, you don't go back to Tatooine, which A New Hope is basically Tatooine and the Death Star. That's, like, basically all you ever see. Yeah. Um, And here they're like, okay, let us show you Hoth. Let's show you Dagobah. Let's show you um, Cloud City. Like, they're, like, setting up these different spaces in this way that, like, also feels like it is exploding the world. Um, And in a way where sometimes some of the actual media that's come since has, like, wanted to return to those. Whereas sometimes I'm just like tell me a story that has nothing to do with any of these fucking characters that's happening on some planet I've never heard of. Right. Um, like, I just want to know what the fuck else is going on. And like, yeah, just like, give me that in a way that, um, it often doesn't, but yeah. this one feels like it's doing it. And then, then in retrospect, you're like, Oh, they just keep returning to these though. Like, yeah. Well, and the thing to me about the Disney movies is that, um, they, they want you to care about like they want to open up gaps um that you then know like they're going to fill this in with like an official disney product you know yeah. like any new interesting character that you meet um like fucking benicio del toro and last jedi like I'm sure that someone was like, hey, do you want to do a Disney Plus show about <laughs> about um, this character? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not going anywhere with that in particular. People know that I don't like Disney it, it movies. Is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is more in the, like, the MCU mm-hmm. mold that's been developed, which is like, oh, when we leave gaps here, it's because we are, like, promising an unfolding cinematic universe rather than... Just being like, yeah, I don't know, shit's happening. Shit's and, happening over there. Who the fuck is this like weird robot? Um, like you look it up, you you buy the toy where it's called IG eighty eight, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's deal is, <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, you can just you can buy the IG eighty eight toy and be like, I'm just gonna imagine this character is whoever the fuck I want it to be. <laughs> right, exactly. Like I'm sure uh, Boba Fett is like a popular character because it was like a cool toy. And you could make yeah. up in your head what his deal was, you know? Yeah. Um, he wore a mask so he could be you if he wanted. His his deal is mostly getting owned by a blind Han Solo. <laughs> That's most of what his deal is, but you know. Um, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so there were like a few other things that I, I had watching it though. So one is this was the first time I like really paid attention to like what exactly is going on with Han Solo and Leia and not in this way of just like, I know what this movie is. I know what the lines are going to be. Um, and I think that really struck me this time is how immediately out the gate, like I, I had always kind of read the film as being like, Oh, Han Solo is like kind of hitting on Leia throughout this. And then she eventually gives in. Mm-hmm. But from like the very first moment that you see Han and Leia, it seems very specifically like in the gap in between they started dating and are currently like in a huge fight. Yeah. Like they like they like kind of started dating and then Han thought maybe it was a little bit more serious than Leia did. And so then Han's like, I'm going to leave. And Leia's like, OK, like you know, I know we had like this fling basically, but like, yeah, go ahead. And Han's like, I kind of thought you would be a little bit like sadder about this. And I'm like pissed off that you, you seem to just like not care that I'm going to leave because like we had that thing. Right. And he kind of like keeps referring to like, we had that thing in this way that like, she doesn't seem to want to acknowledge, but me watching it through this time, I was like, I feel like some of the stuff that I read is like weird, bad vibes here. Is specifically, like, it just feels like they are actually fighting about, like, something already happened. Yeah. The kiss... I watched it this time, and I was like, I don't think that the kiss that you see on screen on the Millennium Falcon is their first kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't actually think it is. Um, and it was just, like, weird watching it this way, because I had never seen it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and... This is definitely like my least favorite version of Han Solo. He's he's a lot more of an asshole here. Um, he's still a cat boy. I still love him, but he's like really he's he is upset about something that is going on between him and Leia, um, and he's kind of being an asshole about it, and he needs to just fucking chill. Um, but also, it was just like I had this very different reading this time of like, oh, it really does. I don't know if it's in the script. I don't know if like. It might just be the way that they are playing it, but, like, even Carrie Fisher seems to be playing Leia not as someone who's just, like, please stop hitting on me, Mm -hmm. but instead being, like, I don't really want to get into this fight with you right now because I'm trying to figure out how we're going to, like, escape this exploding base and, like, get out of this bad situation that we're in. Um there is also, as you're talking about it, like, I'm dimly aware that, like, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher were actually fucking, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I almost wonder, like, how much of that is the script and how much of that is just, like, these two actors, like, feel a certain way about each other that is maybe coming out yeah. on screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love all the stories yeah, was... about... Uh, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford were fucking, and um, Mark Hamill had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that also plays out on the screen, because there is the moment where, again, I'm watching it, and I'm like, it seems like Leia is specifically, like, in this fight with Han, and specifically just kissing Luke because he's there, and, like, she knows that it will make Han jealous. Mm -hmm. And she's just, like, kind of being an asshole to you. But Luke doesn't seem to get that what's happening is that they are already dating or in a fight. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just like, 
oh, look at me. I'm the smooth one. And it's like, no, like, she's fucking him. Luke asks- She's not fucking you. She's using you right now to try and hurt the guy that she's fucking. (laughs) And you don't see this. It's amazing. I love him so much. Yeah. Uh, Luke Skywalker is one of my favorite dog boys. Um, Also one of my favorite lesbians. Yeah, I was going to say- Luke Skywalker, famous he, him, lesbian. Um, I love him so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing, though, that I need to talk about is the stairwell. We spend a lot of time on Empire Strikes Back, but yeah. Um, so, like most Star Wars, there's not, like, really a stairwell. Um, there are lots of stairs, like I mentioned, with, like, the original Star Wars, where people are, like, going between platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did notice like very specifically. So when they land on the, like the landing platform at um, cloud city and they go in, we get like a slightly longer, like they're like going down a clear stairwell and we get a little bit of them. It's like turning. So we get them going down the stairs a little bit. Um, and that's when like, they're talking to Lando and basically Lando's being like, yeah, I'm like running a black market here, but you know, everything's going well. The empire hasn't like really sniffed us out yet. Um, and then it's like, also I just made this a great deal where it's going to like basically guarantee that the empire is just going to stay off our back for a really long time. And that's when the like door opens. And I just fucking love, this is still like really funny to me thinking about star Wars as like a franchise now, that it's just, Darth Vader is sitting at like a banquet table just alone. (laughs) I just like imagining Darth Vader just sitting there being like, they should be arriving soon, right? Like that is an extremely Anakin thing. I I can't I can't like eat any of this food. I'm wearing a fucking mask, and if I take it off, I will die. (laughs) I I'm just sitting here waiting for Lando to show up with Han Solo and Princess Leia. Um, and R2-D2 and C-3PO's already gotten, like, blasted to shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. On some level in my head, like, one of the one of the things I'm always super interested in, like, extended universe stuff is that, like, it is still kind of hard for me to square, like, Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen with, um, Darth Vader you know, um, James Earl Jones. Like, those are just two things mm-hmm. that are hard for me to, like, put together in my head sometimes. And I think this is a thing that people explore in a lot of, like, really good Star Wars stuff. Um, sitting alone, waiting for um, uh, your prey to show up so that you can do a dramatic reveal is an extremely Anakin Skywalker thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not darth Um, vader that's not the guy who just like you know slices open the door at the start of a new hope and is just like cutting dudes down left and right and he doesn't like uh i want her alive like that's not darth vader like anakin skywalker is the motherfucker who's like well i've arranged the most dramatic entrance possible and now i will wait It'll be really fucking great when they open the door and they think they're just going to have a nice meal. And then I'm sitting there like, didn't expect that, bitches. I love it so much. Um, but anyway, so starting from like them going down that big stair, like the larger set of stairs into Cloud City, every little tiny like 
platform to platform that they go down or that like they cross is going down like a small set of stairs and it, it just keeps happening in cloud city they just keep going downstairs until they get to like han going down into the um carbonite chamber mm-hmm. when luke shows up there's some like he's like going upstairs as he's going around cloud city until he gets to the carbonite chamber and then it's just all downhill from there as he's like fighting um darth vader it's like you know getting knocked into various places they like go down there's like a weird tube that he like has to go down and then, of course gets his like hand cut off and falls down the shaft mm. um and i was just like this is actually doing a lot with like this is the moment where everything starts going downhill really for them in a way that it hasn't so far i mean they're like have been in trouble but like this is where things like shit's really breaking bad mm-hmm. um and all of it is going down which also includes like around when they're going to cloud city is i think also when luke goes down into the like underground area um and like fights the ghost darth vader that ends up being his face when he like cuts off his head um so it is actually playing with like people going down stairs and going down like holes and things like that that seems to be thematically tying into what we talk about with stairwells none of them are particularly there's not like a good stairwell shot though there's not one where it's like this is a beautiful stairwell and people are going down it while they're like confronting the tragedy of their lives <laughs> um and so i i did a d plus yeah um, that feels right which yeah that feels right. So, um, yeah, that's where that's where I ended. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, directed by Irvin Kirshner. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch any Remember fucking the movies. Fuck he is. So, <laughs> I'm glad we spent so long on Empire Strikes Back. Um, <laughs> you okay? One, uh, have we sorted out the technical difficulties? Um, the technical difficulties are very nearly sorted. Okay. Um, two, you had initially suggested, like, oh, we should talk about the first time that we've both seen Akira. Um, like, you know, just to, like, give people, like, our context with watching this movie so we don't have to do that in the main body of the show. Uh, I want to ask you about something else entirely, and I don't want to forget it. So... Can I do okay. that? <laughs> yeah. Can um, you talk about the first time we watched Akira after we watched Akira? Um, so there was a meme going around today where people were like, oh, if you like this, um, I'll, uh, you know, uh, post one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah. You did that thread. You did a thread like that. I did a thread like that. We've been talking about Yakuza movies a lot, and uh plans to cover them and i know that you really wanted to do dead or alive and dead or alive too but it was going to be really hard to watch like three hours of movie um before like for like one episode basically like just because of the realities of us recording um and we're gonna have a two week we're gonna have another off week because we're gonna do ghost divers in this time slot uh, next week before the next movie, do do we maybe want to like try and do like like watch 
Dead or Alive at some point next week and then watch Dead or Alive 2, like, the day that we're going to record the next episode of this podcast? Would that be good? I know that you talk about Dead or Alive being in, like, conversation with a bunch of other Yakuza stuff, and so maybe you don't want to cover it yet, but uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um... It is, yeah. This this is the part that's difficult for me because I'm like, that does make sense from a logistical standpoint, but there's a part of me that's like, I want us to get through some more Yakuza movies before we get to Dead or Alive. I feel like you've seen the Yakuza movies that you need to see mm-hmm. for it, mm-hmm. like you, Autumn, because mm-hmm. we've watched Sonatine, we've watched like the first Battles Without. We've watched Red Peony Gambler, like I've seen Tokyo seen, Drifter, like, like yeah, you've seen Tokyo Drifter, you've seen Pale Flower, so like you've seen like Ninkyo Ega, you've seen how like people started complicating Ninkyo Ega, you've seen Chitsuroku, which is like Battles Without, so you are ready, you personally to see. Mm-hmm. Here is um, Mika Takashi being like. All right, I'm gonna like completely say that this genre is just like bullshit and uh, nothing meaningful can ever be done in it. Uh, just really take the piss out of the entire genre, um, and then once I've done that, find something meaningful in the genre mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in a way that's like, yeah. So I feel like we could do it, but I I still don't know about doing it for the podcast. That's fair. That's fair. Um. We absolutely don't have to do that. I just thought of it, and I want to throw it out there. I also thought of it because of the in that thread, um, I was reading through it, and I was like, I never bothered to Google this movie, and so one, I didn't know that it has the greatest poster of all time, um, <laughs> and two, I, I didn't realize it was a, a Takashi Miike film. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. It's fine. Anyway... Um, I have no, I know that was one of his films. I've never seen any of his movies. And so I was like, kind of excited about like, oh yeah, that's like one of those directors that I know I have known for years that I should watch and have never watched any of his movies. So, yeah. Um, I, here's the thing about it as well, mm-hmm. is that I do want to watch the first that are alive with you on the call yes and finding the time next week to do that will be tough yeah um because i want to get to the end of that movie with you and have you react live (laughs) okay well Um, then i guess well i guess we will um when we get to like when we get to where you want to cover it, we will just do that. We'll just take a skip week where we watch the movie and don't record a podcast. And then we'll do, um, or I guess we could do two Dead or Alive podcasts in a row. Either way. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll but yeah, out. I, I do want to watch that with you. So Yeah, totally. Also, because I feel like if you're just watching it alone and I'm not there, you're going to be watching it being like, why the fuck am I watching? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the actual thing that'll drive you nuts is that I'll watch 20 minutes of it and be like, I'm going to come back to this tomorrow. And then I'll watch 45 minutes of it. And I'll be like, this is really good. I'm going to finish up in the morning. (laughs) 
And you'll be like, I want to throttle you. (laughs) (laughs) You'll watch the first 20 minutes of it and be like, so is it just this guitar solo with just like high octane scenes for the entire movie or? (laughs) Because um, we've watched some movies that go hard, but uh, the beginning of the first that are alive just goes so incredibly fucking hard. Uh, in a way that is like just incredible to see. Um, anyway, my technical difficulty is uh, very close to being resolved. Well, then, while it's finishing up, um, do you want to tell me about the first time you saw this movie? Um, it is just finished, but okay. yeah. So the we can still do this. The first this. time that. <laughs> So the first time that I saw um, Akira was one of the first times that I got high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I definitely seen some other anime, but like knew it as a very big anime. Um, And I think we watched Akira and also Legend of the Overfiend in the same night. Um, And I was just very high for it. And it, Akira is a f- much better movie to watch while really high than Legend of the Overfiend. I will say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Legend of the Overfiend is like I don't know how much you know about Legend of the Overfiend. I, I Very mentioned it to you earlier. Um, I think a lot of people on the internet might know it as the movie that popularized uh, like tentacle porn. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, it's just a very intense movie. Um, I I I would not just recommend it without lots of caveats to anyone. If you are if you are into some very extreme um, adult Japanese animation, Legend of the Overfiend might be interesting to watch. But um, Akira is definitely a, a much more pleasant movie, despite the fact that there's still some. Uh, it is in some ways imagery. like a profoundly unpleasant movie. <laughs> yeah. Um still had a much better time watching it. I'll say that. <laughs> um it is a fucking incredible movie. It's just beautiful. Um like the animation is just fucking incredible. But we'll get there. Um I first saw this movie um as 2018 rolled into 2019 um this was the um trip to dallas where i first got to like meet nora in person after we'd been dating for a few months um and we were sitting around and we're like like hey how do we want to spend the time and i think it was just that like i had never seen akira um the movie not the manga but the movie um, takes place in 2019, um, and so we were like, oh, we should watch this movie, because Nora just had it on DVD, and we just, like, watched it, and it, like, and, like, had a couple, like, really bad drinks, because, like, um, like, Texas liquor laws are just arcane, and we didn't go out until, like, late enough that we could only get, like, really bad low alcohol content limeritas that still like got me a little tipsy because I'm a fucking lightweight. Um and it was just a it was just like that was really bad, but I was having so much fun because like 
I just fucking love Nora. And like we paused it halfway through because as like as it rolled over into midnight, we like danced to uh Sanctuary uh from Kingdom Hearts 2. And um I just watched it and I was like, this is the best fucking movie I've ever seen. Um and I've dialed it back maybe like five percent, but it's still like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> like I still yeah. really fucking love Akira, so <laughs> Um, yeah. Your story's a lot cuter and gayer than mine. Yeah. Um, that was, like, that was a very, like, important, like, trip in my life because, like, I knew in my head I was gay, but this was gonna be, like, the first time, like, being gay at, with another person involved. And, um, yeah. so, like, Akira is intimately linked to, like, oh, I'm a real deal homosexual now. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um yeah uh i'm sure when we come back after watching the movie I-, <laughs> I will have no thoughts about the androgyny of any of the characters none none <laughs> um let's watch this fucking movie <laughs> and we're back uh i have nothing you start talking yeah, I mean, so <laughs> again, sorry. Most of the technical difficulties were on my end. Um, it was a uh, like comedy of errors of me trying to stream this movie from various services and all of them failing me in various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I legally purchased a digital copy mm-hmm. from the internet and was downloading it. And that's when we recorded the stuff that people just heard. Um, but then that download and, didn't work for some reason. Yeah. Then it said that it was corrupt, which it actually turned out that my video player needed to be updated. Um, and also, I was just having like severe internet issues throughout all of this, too. Like stuff was just cutting out and everything. Um, it was part of why I was like, maybe the file is corrupt. Uh, trying to update my, my thing took forever. Um like I had to do multiple attempts to update the the video player and I ended up just deleting it and reinstalling it. Uh, so, and then by the time it was like, okay, we can watch a movie now and maybe, maybe record tonight or tomorrow or something. Um, it was already like 1130, I think. Right. <laughs> um, and we were just like, let's actually just like, we're both falling asleep at this point. Yeah. We're, we're just not doing it. Um, and we are recording Ghost Divers tomorrow. Yes. And so I I didn't really want to have two recording sessions or I'm going to be up really late on a like work night. So that's why we're just doing this bonus thing. Yeah. And I, I think our, our main plans here, we got some people who wrote in emails. I don't even know how many there are. I, there were two, maybe three emails. I meant to send them to you. But both of them arrived while I was at work on the days that they arrived. And so I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I will send these to the, uh, her after work. And I didn't. <laughs> um, um. So I'm getting... Uh, do you want me to send you pictures? Do you want me to forward you these emails? <laughs> Whatever works. Um, um, the, the other idea that I had, I floated this and you said it sounded interesting what so between these we did like these twitter threads where one like equaled one favorite movie and i thought it'd be kind of interesting for us to one i don't know if we just want to like quick say the movies that we had 
but then also maybe talk about like oh what what surprised us about each other's list um is there not an ornate stairwells chat in the export audio discord there isn't okay i'm gonna make Um, that right now yeah you don't care enough about me to make shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) the truth is that we normally just dm (laughs) during stuff but um anyway you're such a um (laughs) do we want to go through our movies yeah yeah i'm sending you these emails and then i'm gonna pull up the um um why did that image not work? Um, I don't know. It it sent me a picture of poop. It it happened for me too. I am going to forward you these emails, I guess. What's your <laughs> Okay. What's your email address? It it pulled it up. It pulled it up. I'm cutting it. Um as soon as I typed in the letter N, it's like, oh, this person who emails you all the time? Um I'm like, yeah, well, of course. Um but maybe I'll I'll quick read through my list. Maybe if we want to start with my list. Yeah, you you start with your list because uh, then I'll pull up mine. Okay. Um. So at the very beginning, I had the four that are like the favorites that I have on Letterboxd. Um. And I was just like, I'm not actually going to do these for likes because they're just too obvious. But they are Sonatine, Ikiru, uh, Tokyo Drifter, and Noe Albanoi. Um. And then. The ones that I actually did for likes, I I noticed I got a like and just didn't notice it, so I'll have to do a twenty one at some point. But yeah, I got not yet. three more likes that I never uh, did anything with. It looks like yeah. But uh, so first one I did was Rebels of the Neon God, which go listen to Stairwell's episode. I just had to put it in here because I'm always looking for like chances to evangelize that movie. Yeah. Um. Number two, I did the anime Redline, which is, uh, so I put, it's the distillation of Lacanian concept of jouissance into one of the most incredible cinematic animation experiences you will ever have in your fucking life. Um, number three is a film that I have not revisited, so I don't actually know how, how good it is, but it, like, had a lasting impression on me when I saw it, which is, uh, Trohabo Kerligad, which is Twist and Shout, is, like, the, so the title directly translates to um like what's the the like the Beatles song uh the Beatles no, didn't write it but yeah it's the like bible thing from the one that people read at weddings all the time that's like uh, faith hope and love i think oh so that's what kill again means okay um, so very different <laughs> like connotations there one is a biblical quote the other is a Beatles song. Yeah. <laughs> um, then The Third Man, which we'll do at some point, but incredible fucking movie. Yeah. Um, best film noir out there. Also just incredibly gay. Um, we should watch Touch then, of Evil. Or I should watch Touch of Evil. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we'll, we will do more uh, Orson Welles on this podcast eventually. Um, then Suicide Circle or Suicide Club. Um, I think Suicide Circle is, like, closer to the actual Japanese title, but it's one of those, like, I think it's using circle in the sense of, um, like, often school clubs are called circles in Japan. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, like, the idea of a circle, I think, comes up thematically, so um, 
But yeah, it's a it's a very disturbing. Like it is the horror movie that has scared me the most in my life. Um, number six is the fucking Matrix. It's the fucking Matrix. Have you heard of it? It's fucking great. <laughs> um, I haven't run this by her at all. I have so. Nora and I kind of want to do the Matrix, or I want to do the Matrix on export, and I think Nora is on board for it. And I keep thinking about, like, what if we got Nia on to talk about the Matrix, too? (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love the Matrix. I would love to talk about the Matrix. The thing is that to get you on export, we would just have to not record stairwells, and at that point, we might as well be doing... Like, if we're talking about the Matrix, what is the difference between between stairwells and export? (laughs) You know? Yeah. The audience, yeah. the size of the audience, that's the difference. Uh, more people listen to um, export. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. The size of the audience, and uh, I, I feel like the other thing is, like, maybe it would make more sense once you move. Like, yeah. scheduling that would be would be slightly different. Yeah. But, um, Good point. Then, uh, number seven is Vox Numanisker, which is a Danish film, but by the same Icelandic director who did Noi Albanoi. Um, and the, like, Danish title directly translates to adult people, but it's also sometimes called Dark Horse. Um, then, uh, Perfect Blue, which Darren Aronofsky fucking wishes he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I just feel like... Darren Aronofsky has just been trying to be Satoshi Kone for like at least half of his career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Der Blaue Engel, uh, which is the blue, ang- uh, the blue angel. Um, probably. So I'm fairly certain this is my favorite Marlene Dietrich film. I feel like I've talked about it on stairwells before. Um, it's great. I, there's even a, a stairwell in one of the, <laughs> screen like stills that i did here um it's basically just marlene dietrich just fucking ruining emil yanning's life just <laughs> like <laughs> just destroying this man it's great um then night of the living dead which is basically the only zombie movie that i i actually love like there are other ones that i'll watch but like i there are a lot of zombie movies that i just can't stand um and I feel like Night of the Living Dead is where you get this trope of, like, oh, people at at odds with each other and, like, the inability of humans to work together that, for a lot of zombie stuff, turns into this, like, libertarian wet dream. But, and this, like, idea of society as, like, everybody is fundamentally selfish. That's, like, just viewing society as, like, fundamentally this libertarian idea. Mm Mm-hmm. The whole reason why everyone is at odds in Night of the Living Dead is that the main character is a black man and everyone else is fucking racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it is a movie about racism. And so then it makes sense that the group is like unable to survive and to like disintegrate some people turn on each other because everybody's fucking racist and this black man is just trying to save their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, then The Taste of Tea, which I'm sure we'll do on Starwells at some point. It is a bizarre and, and beautiful movie. Um, then Dead or Alive 2, Birds, which we've talked about doing. I feel like you saw these screenshots and was, we were like, this is not at all what I was expecting this movie I thought to it be. was going to be kind of a stuffy Yakuza movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Sonatine no, it, is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life, and I would also describe it as, like, very stuffy. And so mm-hmm. I, I thought that that's like the the sort of milieu that uh, that Dead or Alive was going to be working in. 
Not yeah, no, because I didn't know it was a Takeshi Miike film. <laughs> so like the way that I'm breaking up Yakuza films is like, you know, we did Red P and E Gambler already, which I wanted to just like. Here is the formula. We could just stay in the formula for a really long time, and there's just a ton of stuff happening there. But like, I wanted to just have one that like was the formula and was doing it well and was like pretty fun. And then do, like, let's do a bunch of other movies that already at that time were riffing on that formula, which is, like, Tokyo Drifter, um, Pale Flower, stuff like that. But, like, those are, like, movies that are trying to work within that formula but do other interesting things and comment on them. Um, And then, like, Battles Without basically was trying to, like, riff on that formula and and push it, but then just became the new formula. Like, Jutsu Roku became the new formula. Right. Um, And so then... After that, we would be watching movies that are, like, responding to Jitsuroku as a format, mm-hmm. which would be, like, Sonatine and, and Hanabi. Um, but when we get to, then, Dead or Alive, this is when the, like, genre has, like, there are still these people who are doing it, but it is like, so clearly just fallen into, like, this weird genre space of just, like, exploitation cinema. Um, and then Miike Takashi comes in and is, like okay, I'm going to, like, work specifically in this, like, exploitation, like, V-cinema, like, direct-to-video uh, Yakuza movies, but I'm going to, like, complicate that, so it's, like, a further complication on what, like, Sonatine was trying to do. Mm. <laughs> um, and some of it is just, like, I don't want to do the full actual exploitation because we can watch Dead or Alive 1 and get most of what the exploita- uh, exploitation style was, but with, like, there's still something interesting beyond just, like, oh, yeah, there's just a lot of, like, nudity and violence and gross stuff, uh, which is what a lot of the genre became at that point. <laughs> um, and then uh, 13 here, throw away your books, rally in the streets. Um, what is this? This is an incredible film. Yeah, this is a very stairwells film. Um, like, let me just pull up. It's one where I'm like, how do I like explain this uh, succinctly on a podcast? So I'm gonna go to to the Wikipedia page for it. is very very short, but uh, experimental drama film by Shuji Terayama. Uh, it is a metaphor for Japan's descent into materialism and follows a young man's disillusionment with the world around him and his determination to achieve something in life while his family members are content with their poor social and economic standing. Um, so I I don't really like Jean-Luc Godard films. Um, yeah. But in theory, I like the idea of people from the late 60s and early 70s sitting around and saying lines like, it's so boring in this country, nobody wants to dance. Um, Like, I feel like that is the feeling that, like, uh, Godard films are constantly trying to express, but at least in the screenshot in the thread, like, this movie seems to, like, maybe actually hit it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, Also, a, a thing that I think is important here is, so this is part of Japanese New Wave, and I feel like compared to... Um, like what was happening with French New Wave, there was just like, like the countercultural stuff feels like it hits more in a lot of Japanese New Wave for me. Um, and I think part of it too is that often it like comes from more of a, um, like there, there's more dealing with queerness as well in a lot of these films. And it's been a while since I've seen specifically throw away your books rallying in the streets. So I don't remember like fully how much um that one touches on it but like i feel like there's a lot more that happens in that space and i feel like we'll watch some japanese new wave and 
yeah, I, I find it a lot more enjoyable than a lot of French New Wave. I, I will say that. <laughs> I, um, French New Wave is such a weird thing a lot of the time because it is responding to um, the, like, the American studio system. It is, like, these these countercultural um, directors, like these young men... And in, in some cases, young young women, but mostly young men, um, like, taking in all these, like, American studio movies, these, like, the capitalist machine has produced all these American movies, and we're taking it in, and we're sort of, like, you know, making something new and experimental out of it. Um, the... I have only seen one Japanese New Wave movie, um, Tokyo Drifter, it seems like it is a more interesting premise when people are taking in and responding to their own country's, um, like, domestic uh, film industry yeah. rather than, like, this sort of weird, um, like, cultural exchange reaction, you know? Yeah, and I, I do feel like sometimes Japanese New Wave is, like, to some degree in engaging with, like, the cultural exchange that happens, but that somewhat also becomes more interesting to me because it is often coming at it more from this angle of like, there's a U.S. Army base yes. that has been like in Japan, like <laughs> like a lot of other a lot of the new wave stuff that I find that like does engage with American cinema um, that I find more interesting is often coming from more of this like oh there's like an American colonial presence here yes. in a way that like whereas France. <laughs> does not have that relationship with the U.S. at all. France in the 1960s is an empire in decay. But, like, yeah. y you know, it is they are the occupying force for so many countries, not the occupiers. Yeah. It's part of what makes um, Cleo from 5 to 7 so interesting is because it is a f movie that is engaging with, like, um, the wars uh, to occupy other countries that France is engaging in at that time. Um uh, Godard and, and Truffaut, at least the movies I have seen, just don't care about that because um, the the beauty of imperialism is that it puts the conflict away from your home, so you don't have to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you don't have to think about how uh, your lifestyle is predicated on um, you know death and violence in other places. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's. One thing a lot of, I, like, I definitely enjoy a lot of Japanese cinema, and I think some of it, too, is because, like, you do still get some of that with Japan, because, like, you know, there was, like, an empire mm -hmm. in Japan that, like, fell during World War II, and there's, like, a lot of confronting the, like, very, very intense fascism in, in Japan and a lot of this stuff. So you get some of that, but then also it is not as, like... It is not as clear-cut as it is with France, where it's just like, we are an empire in decay. It is like, we are an empire in decay, and also we are being occupied by, like, another empire right now. Right. <laughs> um, and that is, that is like, a far more complex thing, I think, to, like, have films really grappling with, which is, like, to be both, like, a colonizer and the colonized, and trying to, like, figure out... I, as, like, an individual in the society, like, what do I make of all of this? Right. Um, it is very different than, I like, 
again, what you get with French New Wave. The other thing that comes up a lot with French New Wave for me is just that um, it was responding so much to, like, Hollywood film that a lot of the Hollywood film that came after it was, like, really directly cribbing from it mm-hmm. um, in a way where I can still go back and, like, this is the thing that I sometimes talk about with Connor because... Connor's very much like, I really want to just watch this work and like appreciate it for like what it is. But there are some times where I just watch something and I'm like, I can appreciate this in like a, a mindset where I'm like looking at the history of an art form and looking at how things have evolved. Um, I'm looking at like how this has influenced other works. And so it can be like interesting for me to engage in it. And yet the film techniques that are being developed in French new wave are not going to like immediately excite me in the, this is a podcast about like the erotics of cinema and film aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of what was probably really, really exciting at the time about French new wave were film techniques that like so thoroughly got folded into the mainstream that. Yeah. You watch it and, like, I can appreciate, like, oh, look at the way that they're using Jump Cut. Like, this was new at the time. But it's just not, like, it it doesn't feel exciting anymore because it's, again, it's become the formula. It's, like, Battles Without was really, really exciting at one time for how it was, like, messing with the Yakuza genre. Right. It is not exciting for those reasons anymore. I still find it really exciting for other reasons. Right. Um, the biggest being like how fucking gay the first movie is. <laughs> um, and like, also it's just a very good version of like the, the, like it created an entire formula for a reason, which is that those were just really good movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they sold really well. And so everyone just started imitating them. But I don't watch Battles Without and go like, oh, wow, this is like really complicating the the like formula that was set up with Ninkyo about like, oh, these are these noble people who are like trying to do what is just and right and yet are like torn by the systems that like they existed and the like mean bosses above them to like have to enact this like violence against the people that they care about. Um, and it's like really... I don't watch Bells Without and go like, oh, this is like super challenging that, even though at the time that was the sense. I actually watch it now and I'm like, Sukawara Bunda is still kind of a Ninkyo hero. Like, mm-hmm. he's still just kind of a good guy who's trying to do right in a way that a lot of Ninkyo or a lot of Jitsuroku that came after was far more just like, these are terrible men. Like, <laughs> you watch, you know, when we watch Sonatini, that's something that's responding to Jitsuroku and like, the main character is just a, a bad guy. <laughs> like he's not right. like a good there's there's no good in Murakawa. <laughs> um he's just kind of an asshole who sometimes like is funny. <laughs> um anyway. <laughs> I guess I can move on in my thread. <laughs> yeah. Um The Double Life of Veronique, which is the first Kieślowski film that I watched. Um and I feel like we'll we'll do at least like one of his movies at some point. Um, I enjoy his movies. He kind of like has a thing and does it, but um, it's good. It's what Amelie wishes it was. (laughs) 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 Um, 15 is police story, which just like Jesus fucking Christ. Um, Honestly, one of the best like Hong Kong action films that I've ever seen. The stunts in it are fucking incredible. Um, 
it's also the story of one man and his hatred of glass. Um, the amount of bl- glass that gets shattered in this in this <laughs> film is just like Jackie Chan really fucking hated glass. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Sixteen, my favorite Bergman film, Persona. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll do it We're, at some point. It's gonna happen. It'll probably happen yeah. in 2021. I don't know. Um. 17 so i can actually do an update live on the podcast here um 17 is hibari no mori no ishimatsu um the i may have mentioned this before the subtitles for the like free version on facebook that i found are just fucking atrocious um they are they are really really bad um i did actually talk to the professor and he was like this is actually one where i didn't translate it. it what i got was like a gray market copy because there's no like official u.s release of this um and basically pointed me to some sites being like, here's where you could buy a gray market copy of this. Um, so I ordered a DVD of Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu. And I'll, you know, I'll figure something out from there to <laughs> <laughs> to have you. And, uh, you know, if other people listening to this podcast would like to watch this film, let me know. And I will connect you to the gray market site where you can buy this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I will not do any sort of illegal activities. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, number 18 here is Micro Commando Diatron 5, a.k.a. Space Transformers, a.k.a. Space Transformer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alex of Swim Fans, who goes by Diatron 5 on Twitter and like a number of other websites, uh, is the one who introduced me to this movie. Um, he just found it for a dollar in a bargain bin at like a Walmart or something. <laughs> um, and honestly just changed all of our fucking lives. Um, the, the cover he has is the one that has, uh, there's just a scope, dog basically Akira <laughs> and, uh, Gundam on it. But what did you say? There's a scope dog in this movie. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a I love this movie a lot. It's a very bad movie, but I love it both as like it for me it is one of the perfect bad movies where it is just like still really entertaining to watch. Um even as it is like poorly animated and doesn't really make sense. Um it's still just fun. Like it's not a bad movie where you watch it and you're like this is excruciating. Um it's just really goofy and dumb. Um and yeah, it, it, you know, we say that like we, this started with us watching the first battles without movie, but long before then we were in a bad movie discord. And, uh, I'm pretty sure the first movie that we watched was I brought space transformers, <laughs> micro so, commando diatron five. The, the funny thing about this is that, and I meant to tell you this the other day, but I was busy when you brought up, uh, this movie, um, the, so you were like, we should watch Space Transformers. And I was busy the day that you and a bunch of other people watched Space Transformers. But then you were all shitposting about Space Transformers. I was like, well, I want to watch Space Transformers. <laughs> so you and I, on a different day, just watched it together. <laughs> you ended up watching Space Transformers like twice in like a week and a half, I think. And I loved it, I'm sure. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, that's great, though. Yeah, it, I mean, it became really... It, it is a really good, bad movie, and so, like, there were just... 
Like, there were a ton of emotes around Space Transformers. There was, um, like, bot commands where you could just say things and characters would show up. Um, yeah. I think it. I think there's still a channel. I, I forget if I'm still a part of that Discord, but the last time I checked, um, there was still a channel called Bipan Appreciation Station. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> great movie. I love it. We, we might watch it at on stairwells at some point that's a um, patreon bonus it's... episode if ever i've heard one <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> um let's see 19 is angel of the universe and Gloria heimson's you all you all know what it is is there anywhere i could hear a podcast about uh Angela heimson's um i don't think anyone has ever podcasted about that movie before we should do that um yeah and then number 20 the last one that I did was Man with a Movie Camera, which is maybe my favorite Soviet film. Um, I have it's not really fun seen, to watch. I have not seen any Soviet films, and I need to change it. I, I especially, like, I have always known that I would like this movie, and also I've just become, you know, in, in the time between when I was first hanging out on movie forums and, um, like, hearing people tell me I should watch this movie... In the time between then and now, I just became an like Soviet sympathizing communist motherfucker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> like, I both need to see this movie because, like, it sounds like a good movie, and also because I, like, I'm just a damn commie. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is that it's just an extremely uh, stairwells movie. It's literally, it is literally just images and sequence one after another. Um, it's also a silent film, so there's like lots of different soundtracks for it. But like, it is literally just different shots juxtaposed against each other for the entire runtime. Um, and it does interesting things with that. But it is, it's just images. Mm-hmm. It's literally just images. That's all this movie is. <laughs> images in sequence, one after another, sometimes with music. <laughs> um, um trying to think. I don't know if you have You go. I was going to say I don't know if you have any final thoughts on these. We we we've kind of commented as we went, but I I was just saying, like I I was trying to think if I had any final like things I wanted to touch on. Uh I want to know more about what Redline is, but like in kind of a way where I'm just like, I want to just Google it and put it on the dock for like maybe this podcast, or I don't know if you're planning on talking about it on Ghost Divers, but um, we've we've talked about doing it on Ghost Diver. This is the thing that's come up, I think, off mic is for a while I was like, mm, there's some movies that I want to be like, oh, this is a Ghost Divers movie, um, and I've come to the conclusion that the way that you and I watch media is just widely different than how I watch media with Connor. Mm-hmm. Um and so like it could be one where like Connor joins or whatever, but also I could do redline on stairwells, I could do redline on ghost divers, and it would be completely different conversations, I think. I had a um, I had an idea the other day. Um I feel like maybe I said this somewhere. No, I just tweeted it unlocked, so I can repeat this on the podcast. I realized something about myself the other day. So, people who have been listening to um, Export for a while may recall that the first episode that we did in 2020 um, was Nora and I watching Ghost in the Shell, the Oshi 1995 film, I believe. 
Um, yeah. And we both really did not like that movie. And I remember that my criticisms at the time uh, were uh, that... Was that I didn't think... I thought it was kind of bullshit that the movie is mostly about people, like, waxing poetic and then just, like, shots of, like, rain in, like, a cyberpunk city street, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Because in, at the beginning of 2020, I was at my, like, absolute lowest with, like, watching movies. I just, like... I had been out for years, and I saw no path to getting back into, like, watching art cinema. In the time between then and now... um. You started an art movie podcast? Yeah, and, like, my taste is solely founded on movies where, like, oh, this person just said something poetic, and then we cut to, you know, 90 seconds of just various shots of locations and rain, you know? <laughs> like, that's just my taste now. I think I'd really like the Oshi Ghost in the Shell movie now. Um, and I had an idea last week, which was that we could do a we could do an episode of ornate stairwells where you and i like sat down and watched ghost in the shell on a thursday night and recorded a podcast right after and talked about aesthetics and then that weekend you could talk to connor about ghost in the shell um for ghost divers and then we could smoosh this together into one five-hour MP3 and just put that out into the world. <laughs> I think this is a great idea. I think we should I've actually do this. I've not brought this up to Connor, but, but yeah. I think this is a I thing we, we should, should do. do. <laughs> um, I think it would be great. Um... um any... I'm trying to... I'm looking, seeing if I have any other thoughts... Um, I might have one or two things, but I think it'll probably come up in my thread, so should I just read mine? Unless you have more. Yeah, um, I don't have more right now, so. Um, so I didn't do this on my thread, but you mentioned at the start of your thread your, like, four favorite movies on Letterboxd, so I'll just touch on mine here. Um, Only Yesterday, which, um, I have a whole podcast about how much I love Only Yesterday, uh, by which I mean... The episode of Aeroplane about Only Yesterday, and also uh, every episode after where I just grumble about how no movie is as good as Only Yesterday is. <laughs> the funny part is, so I listened through all of Aeroplane in the span of, like, a month, maybe at most. Um, and it's funny because during Only Yesterday, like, both you and Em are just like, yeah, it, it was good. I liked that movie. Um, and then just, like, as you continue to have to endure like Ghibli movies that you don't like, you just become more and more like only yesterday is the only good one. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I love this film. It's one of the best films ever made. It's just like, like every episode you love only yesterday more having had to watch another like Ghibli film that you didn't like as much. It's great. <laughs> I, that is both true. And it is like one of those things, um, We'll touch on it when I get to the Bergman um, film that I put in my thread. Um, sometimes you don't know your favorite movies when you watch them, I feel like. like yeah. Only Yesterday is a movie that I was like, I was really impressed with it. And like, 
I just think about Only Yesterday every day. Like, I just I just love it. I just think it's, like, one of the most impressive movies I've ever seen. Um, Did you know I have not seen it? <laughs> that does not surprise me. It is not, like, yeah. you know... Um, it's not one of the famous ones. Um, the I bet I would like it. I bet you would. Um, the the actual like like I don't know. As we just get further out from having watched those Ghibli movies, I have a deep love in my heart for the Takahata movies, Nausicaa, and Whisper of the Heart. I think Whisper of the Heart is another of the best movies ever made. Um, and really everything else I could just toss out. <laughs> Totoro. I guess I want to keep Totoro. Um, um, I feel like I've been on record that my favorite Ghibli movie is Kiki's Delivery Service, not because I've watched it at all recently or at all think about watching it as a thing that I want to do and enjoy, but because I have a Kiki's, like, pencil and I have a Kiki's yes. sewing bag and, um, yes. like... I, I fully admit it's just me buying merchandise, but um, I like the girl who, like, is in a Swedish pastry shop and <laughs> has a black cat and is a witch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kiki's is a lifestyle Give me those brand. Things. <laughs> yeah. Gigi's really cute. <laughs> um, Give me bags with Gigi on it. That's all I want. Uh, That's all I want in life. <laughs> Other movies on my letterboxed top four, we've got Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, Clue, the movie, um, and Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke is like the movie that's on here that I might swap out. I do really, really love Cool Hand Luke, but like, like I would rather have Rebels of the Neon God here, and I don't even know that Rebels of the Neon God is like, is as good as the other three I've got here. You know, like, I just like, I can think of movies I like more than Cool Hand Luke, but I do really love it. Yeah. Really, really love it. Um, so The funny thing about Fire Walk with me is that I feel like it's a Stairwells movie, and yet we will never do it because we have to just save it for when we do a Twin Peaks rewatch podcast. We will do a Twin Peaks podcast someday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, my thread. Um, I'm going to go a little quicker through mine because I had... Um, one, because there's you some overlap, more. and two, because I had more likes. Um... So, uh, first, um, Godzilla Final Wars, um, it, it is, um, so for people who don't know, like, I have a deep and very weird affection for Showa Godzilla movies, and really have not seen anything outside of those. Um, I've seen two of the Millennium Godzilla movies, I've seen a couple of the American ones, um, and I saw Shin Godzilla, like any of the like eighties and nineties, like Godzilla movies. I, I forget what era that was, but like, haven't seen them, you know? Um, yeah. Is there like, are you planning to, to watch all the Godzilla movies at some point? Like I am, maybe there's some sort of <laughs> podcast that you could like listen to <laughs> while you watch all of the Godzilla movies. <laughs> I am. And it is. So Nora and I are doing um, Godzilla's Not Dead for $5 patrons on the Export Audio patron Patreon feed. We did an episode in June. We were supposed to do an episode in July. We were supposed... We, we did not because of scheduling. We are trying to do two episodes in August, 
I'm hardly ever in the same room as Nora these days because um, she works mornings and I work nights. Um, and so, like, and we've been trying to get, like, the export machine running a little bit again. And so we've been doing that, but the thing about getting the export machine running means that the Godzilla machine is not running because they're the same machine. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so we're... We're going to really try to get two episodes of Godzilla done this month. We maybe should have done one today, but also I laid in bed for three hours and I deserved it because I worked overtime four weeks in a row. You deserved it. Uh, Gundam F91. Uh, there's an export about Gundam F91. Um, there will probably be more episodes of export about Gundam F91 in the future. <laughs> um, it's just... It's probably my favorite Gundam thing because... It looks beautiful, and it distills Gundam down to, like, a two-hour thing, and no, it's not as nuanced as, like, Zeta. No, it's not as, like... It doesn't, like, stir something, like, deep in my soul in the way that Char's counterattack does. It does not, um, like, you know, make me feel like Gundam is a complete statement in the way that ZZ is. It doesn't spark my curiosity in the way that shows I haven't seen, like, Ideon and Turn A do. But F91, like, boils down all the stuff I love about Gundam to a two-hour experience um, and opens Gundam up into a world where anything can happen at the end, um, which is a, really th a thing I really love. And also, it's just better animated than anything else in the series. Um... <laughs> This is one of the least surprising things on your list to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, three, Rebels of the Neon God. I don't need to address that. Four, Cool Hand Luke. Uh, talked about that just a minute ago. Um, just a great 60s movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Five, Inherent Vice. Um, the, the funny thing about this is the literally the day before we did these threads, I was like... I feel like Inherent Vice is a Star Wars movie. We should do that at some point. <laughs> so I I really love Inherent Vice because it came out when I was maybe 18 on the cusp of 19 or 19 on the cusp of 20. Um, and I was like in the throes of like being a film guy. Um, and I watched Inherent Vice... And I didn't know what it was. Like, I sat in the theater for, like, two and a half hours or whatever whatever it is. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. And, like, you know, I'm, like, a late teen. Like, I'm a young adult. And I, like, I think I know everything. Like, I think I understand what movies are. I think I, like, can follow things. And, like, there's just sort of a, like, drugged out logic to the way, the, the pace at which, um inherent vice moves and the way things sort of seem to happen without any sort of like inciting incidents to them a lot of the time um and i just yeah. did not understand inherent vice and it really felt like it felt like such a cool invigorating experience because like ah movies can be so many things that i didn't know that they were you know um and i'm glad yeah. i could st at that age i was like oh i can still be like fucking surprised even by like a big you know like Hollywood movie, you know? Yeah. Um, the devil's backbone. Um, 
probably my favorite Del Toro movie. Uh, it's either that or Pan's Labyrinth. Um, we should do some Del. We'll probably do some Del Toro in October. I feel like um, we have October plans. Yeah. I don't remember what they are though. Um, other than Houseu and uh, yeah, that's all I remember. Uh, Cat People. I was gonna have us watch too. Yes, Cat People. But, um, yeah. This is a thing where, like, I've seen some Del Toro, but but not a lot. And I would be happy to, like, have you introduce me to more Del Toro. So I have seen <clears throat> most of the Del Toro movies, but the things I haven't seen would surprise people. Like, I have not seen The Shape of Water, and I only saw... I've seen Hellboy, the first, um, probably a dozen times. Um, I've seen, like, Pacific Rim. I watched Pacific Rim every day for a week one time. Um, have only seen Hellboy 2 once, even though I think it's a better movie, you know? So, like, I have, like, weird gaps in, like, what I've seen of Del Toro. Um, Seven. Uh, Evil Dead kind of is a franchise, but the first one is my favorite. Um, eight. I also put Perfect Blue on my, uh, thread. Um... Nine Fargo, probably my favorite Cohen movie. I'd have to think about it, but it's yeah. I I'm pretty sure it's my favorite Cohen. I um, it's it's the Midwesternness of it that just really gets me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Also, it's the one that like most perfectly balances the like humor for me. Yeah. In a way. Yes. Um. Like a lot of the other ones just like aren't as funny as I want them to be, or like. Too funny. Don't, yeah, like too funny, and this just like hits this perfect level, um, and yeah, again, like it's just so fucking midwestern, um, in a way that just having grown up in the Midwest, I'm like, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, Barton Fink is another one of my favorites, but um, I've just seen Fargo like three or four times. I feel like, and I saw Barton Fink the once, and I was like, oh, Barton Fink's a really great movie, and then I just never felt like. It didn't sink its teeth into me in the same way. Um, yeah. No Country for Old Men is also one of my favorites. And, like, the, f- the the third time you watch No Country for Old Men, you're like, oh, this movie actually is pretty funny. But the first two times you watch it, it's like, oof, this is dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, yeah, that feels accurate to that. <laughs> But it it is good. It's good. Um, I like it a lot. Uh, ten um, Mask of the Phantasm, um, the Batman movie, the best Batman movie. Uh, I'll talk about it on a podcast someday. Eleven. Wait, you have a Batman podcast? I have a Batman podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna record it tomorrow. Wow. Um. 11 wrist cutters a love story um it's kind of just like a quirky 2000s like edgy rom-com where like a bland white dude falls in love with a like girl with dyed hair basically um and they just go on a road trip uh it's kind of bad but it's like it's like mine it's like part of me in a way um yeah 12 everybody gets one (laughs) For so so many people, um, so many people have that movie, and it's Scott Pilgrim, and you're all valid. You all picked a better movie than me, but mine's less cliche. So, um, 
I was thinking the Jim Carrey one. I don't even remember the name. Oh, Eternal Sunshine is definitely one of these. Um, 12. As long as it's not Garden State. If yours is Garden State, fuck you. You're not valid if it's Garden State. (laughs) Yeah. 12. uh, This can be your movie. Uh, This can be your one of these if you want it to be. Uh, Moulin Rouge. Um, (laughs) This one surprised me as a a favorite film. I I mean, I liked it. I I just have not thought about it since I've seen it. I so literally what it is is that um I had never seen Moulin Rouge and I was on my first date ever in my life and we watched mm. Moulin Rouge um that'll do it and um I just think Ewan McGregor's hot <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's a gorgeous man yes I do really like Revenge of the Sith because I saw it on a date <laughs> um 13 sisters um the 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 poster for this movie literally says like it's kind of a ripoff of psycho it's a ripoff of psycho but it's like a really good ripoff of psycho (laughs) it's better than psycho i think yeah um 14 uh straw dogs very gross movie hard to recommend um but i do really love it um Uh Known to me as the movie that sometimes people say, and I think that they said, Stray Dog, and I get excited. <laughs> uh, 15, Hour of the Wolf. Um, what I wrote in the tweet was like, um, uh, I love all the Bergman movies I've seen, um, but the other ones had to grow on me over time. Like the first time I watched Persona or the first time I watched The Seventh Seal, I really didn't like those movies because I thought they were slow and boring. Um, And the thing that happened is that I just, like, I just think about Persona all the time, and I watch other movies, and I'm like, Persona did this better, you know? Yeah. Uh, Hour of the Wolf is, like, the the Bergman that I watched that made me understand why he is, like, the most beloved director of all time, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Hour of the Wolf is, like, the one that I watched... That made me understand why people like Bergman and, like, made me sort of, like... Because I had seen, I think, Seventh Seal before this and was like, I don't get it. And then I watched this. I was like, oh, I'm going to keep watching his movies, kind of chasing the high that this movie gave me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good movie. 16, um, uh, Wings of Desire, uh, which I'm calling it that because uh, I don't feel confident in my ability to pronounce German. <laughs> The Himmel über Berlin. Uh, 17, um, The Big Boss, the Bruce Lee movie. Um, Enter the Dragon's probably a better movie, but I think Bruce is hotter in this one. Yeah, I mean, you did do a gif of him licking his own blood, so. Yeah. Um, 18, um, I just put a bunch of, I, I low-key just put a bunch of Showa Godzilla movies into one post, and then I was like, but Astro Monster is my favorite. Or Invasion of the Astro Monster. Um, 19, Nosferatu from the uh, the silent film. And then 20, Nosferatu, the not silence film. Um, <laughs> this this is the biggest one where I was like surprised, which is that you just said it was maybe the only silent movie that you've enjoyed. And I'm like, we got to watch more some more silent movies. We do. Um, we do. Um, the, the two Joan of Arc is incredible. Do you know the whole thing of Joan of Arc? No. Um, so, um, it's a drier film as well. 
And apparently the studio was really, really mad at him because he had them build like incredibly complex, like two scale sets of these castles and everything. And the entire movie is just close ups and phases, like literally the entire movie. You don't see any of the sets that they built really at all. It's fucking incredible. I love it. Um, it is a long movie, but um, it's one that like it being all close-ups on faces and it just like being that same shot basically the entire time is kind of what's incredible about it. Um, that it's like so beautiful while being so one note for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, like the two. I have not seen... I just straight up haven't seen a ton of silent movies. I really love Nosferatu. Um, I watched Dreyer's uh, Vampire, uh, and I really like that one, um, but it does not stick out in my mind as much. And the other one I really remember liking um, was the... I mean, it's sort of just like Americans trying to make those two movies. Um, The original silent Phantom of the Opera movie with... um, Oh, who's in it? It's um, Lon Chaney Sr., I think. Um, yeah. I really like that one. Um, I think maybe... There's some... Cause... Like, one of my favorite silent directors is Murnau, mm-hmm. and there are some, like, great Murnau that we could watch. Like, I really like um, Sunset, A Tale of Two Humans. Oh, see, um, I, saw, I, I saw Sunset in a or film Sunrise. class. I, or I saw Sunrise in a film class, and I really didn't care for it. But also, I was sitting in, like, a lecture hall, you know? So, like, yeah. I don't know. Um, also, I feel like at some point we have to watch Buster Keaton. Yeah. Um, it would be funny to do a double feature of uh, Man with a Movie Camera and then The Cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, just the two different genres that might catch my interest. So, like, watch a Buster Keaton movie and then watch, like, Hexen. <laughs> Um, well, both of the both of these would be silent films. It'd be a man with a movie camera, and then Buster Keaton's The Cameraman, and it would just be two movies about a guy with a camera walking around a city, um, just extremely different. Um, also, I put for number twenty, um, Nosferatu, the Herzog movie, um, because I really love it, but also I just I said it's my favorite Herzog movie, and then ever since then I'm like. I probably like Stroshek better. I probably like Stroshek better. Stroshek is really fucking good. Stroshek is also like a very stairwells movie. Like a profoundly yeah. us movie. <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of profoundly us movies, uh Night of the Hunter, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are familiar with Night of the Hunter and don't need me to go over it. Um twenty two you go. Can I can I can I tell you something? Yeah. I've never seen the night what of the, the hunter. Fuck. <laughs> what the fuck? Twenty two. Twenty two. Throne of Blood. Uh it's great. Um, I tweeted this separately, but at some point, like, I think the next time we do Kurosawa, it's gonna be Dreams. Um because yeah. I don't know if you've seen Dreams, but it's like it's just a, a bunch of, like, vignettes, basically, um, and it's incredible. I have not seen it, um, and I know we might have talked on mic, we might have talked off mic, I can't recall. I know that we had talked about wanting to do a color film the next time we did Kurosawa, because yeah. 
there is a very in like American film fandom, a very narrow understanding of his like, you know, his samurai movies as like the thing that he did. Um, and like, that is the majority of what I've seen, but like Kurosawa was a very expansive director who did a lot of different stuff. Um, and so I'd be very happy to do dreams for sure. Yeah. Um, where was I? 23 Casablanca. It's just the best. Um, it's really good. 24 Le Samurai. It's just the best. Um, they're doing it on repertory screenings. Yeah, they are. Go listen to that. Yeah. 25 Cleo from five to seven. Um, a movie I watched solely because they covered it on repertory screenings. Great episode of the podcast. Even better movie. Um, a movie that is like directly responsible for this podcast existing because I watched it earlier this summer and was like, I need to podcast about this. <laughs> um, 26, um, aim for the ace. Um, I'm not familiar with the aim for the ace TV show from the seventies, but, um, I'm given to understand that the, the 79 film kind of just does the entire first arc as like a, two-hour movie and they spent uh in uh, kim uh our friend kim um is i guess an aim for the ace scholar uh of sorts and um she in her words they like tripled the budget for uh animating fashion and cut the budget for animating backgrounds in half which is the right choice (laughs) (laughs) the movie looks fucking amazing (laughs) yeah uh 27 phantasm i might have said we should watch phantasm in october i don't remember i really like phantasm oh we may- yeah you may have uh one of my favorite horror movies just goofy uh 28 blade runner are you familiar do you know this yeah it's really fucking good <laughs> um probably outside of like like in- if i'm talking about american cyberpunk it's probably my favorite cyberpunk yeah, um, for sure. Ghost in the Shell is obviously my favorite, like non-American. But and then twenty nine. Um, it's weird to talk about this. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. <clears throat> um, I don't know if we want to. Um, um, I don't know if we want to like do a podcast about Silence of the Lambs at some point. I had, like, a really complicated relationship with that movie where I think it's, like, mega hateful and damaging to trans people, but not in the way that, like, not in the sort of popular understanding. Like, I think a lot of people misunderstand why that movie is hateful and how that movie is hateful. Um, Yeah. And also, I would watch it tonight. It's one of my favorite movies. (laughs) Um, yeah like the scene where the fbi um is raiding the house uh is just good <laughs> uh i don't know what you um, want from me i i think at some point we should do silence of the lambs i also think silence of the lambs is a movie where if you're cis um anytime that you're going to watch it you have to like donate money to trans people <laughs> yeah for real for real for real um if you are if you are like subscribed to the X War Audio Patreon, 
um you can watch silence of the lambs yeah yeah um um but it's a good movie but also it's a great yeah it's a good movie <laughs> Uh, we can say that we're allowed we can to say, say that, that. <laughs> cis people you can't say that it's a good movie but we can say it <laughs> cis people you have hannibal you have a better like like i just think Mads mickelson is a better hannibal lecter than um anthony hopkins and i don't say that lightly i think anthony hopkins is a fucking great hannibal like no disrespect to ha- to to Anthony Hopkins, but Mads Mikkelsen's really good in that role. And cis people, you can have that. You're allowed to enjoy Hannibal to your heart's content. You can't enjoy Silence of Lambs. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, those are our lists. Those are our lists. Um, Nora needs the bedroom for sleeping. So, do ah. Uh, I'm going to pick up the laptop and the microphone and to move move into another room, and we will resume podcasting in like two minutes. Sound good? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I'm marking this. Can't believe I'm buying a gray market DVD to watch this movie. It's a good fucking movie, is the thing, though. <laughs> um, it is like the most. Um, Ninko outside of like just the actual formula of all of them um, and yet it's just incredibly gay incredibly gay <laughs> anyway anyway let's let's record a podcast podcast um the fuck was I gonna say we're back. <clears throat> uh, we're back, and in the little interim, uh, I stood up and, upon doing so, realized how hard the rum and coke had been hitting me. Um, so, I kind of lost my train of thought. Do you, do, do you want to do the emails? Let's do the emails. Thank you. <laughs> um, should we do this first one from Rick? Yes. Uh, I'm pulling it up, so you can either read it or I can vamp until I'm able to read it. Uh, I will read it. Okay. So, Rick says, what's your favorite long shot in a movie, is the, is the question. And I, w- I was thinking of long shots, and then I read the rest of this, and this is a, a thing where just, like, I have forever cursed, like, film studies brain. Because mm-hmm. I think... Rick is talking about long take because mm-hmm. Rick says this one is mine. It is the opening seven minute tracking shot of Johnny toes breaking news. Um, this, this is a thing that like film nerds will get really pedantic about in a way that I don't actually care, but it did briefly confuse me because I was like long shots. And then I was like, Oh wait, seven minute tracking shot. Okay. <laughs> this it. <laughs> People use that interchangeably in a way that my cursed, uh, film studies brain like tries not to. So that's how it is um, sometimes. Yeah. So long takes in in movies. Um, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of some. Um, like 
I'm trying to think of some, and the ones that are coming to mind are like... The one that comes immediately to mind is like a weird one because... um, uh, Mikey and Nikki is a like 70s Elaine May movie about um, uh, John Cassavetes and um, Peter Falk like walking around New York City streets at midnight like having an argument basically uh, and like the movie was famously very expensive because like Elaine May was just like shooting and shooting and shooting and just leaving the cameras running even like when the actors weren't there and like just doing like like they had a script but there was a ton of improvisation and just like the cameras were just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling um and um the um, there are shots in Mikey and Nikki that I can think of that are very, very long takes, but then they'll intercut those very, very long takes with, like, sort of other stuff, uh, sometimes to mask that they are, like, switching from, like, one reel of film to another, um, and so it's not about, like, there are some movies, like, say, Birdman, that are kind of showing off, like, oh, look how long we can stay in this one shot and not, like, change it. Mikey and Nikki is not doing that. Mikey and Nikki is just sort of going for a sort of like theater atmosphere where the two actors are just like doing their work without interruption. Um, and it's like a different thing. It's not showy about it. You might not know without like, you know, reading about the production of the film that um, the movie was made in that way. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm trying to think. You go. Like, this is one of those things where, like, I feel like sometimes when it's employed, it is trying to be really showy in this way that um, is sometimes entertaining, but also, like, there's a certain confidence in just, like, letting something linger and not, not doing, like, the really impressive long take where it's just, like, going all through, you know, all these different scenes. Um, but I think, like, like one that comes to mind is I think there are some incredibly... But it's not, like, an impressive shot in terms of, like, oh, this would be really hard to capture. But there, I think, are just some very long tracking shots in Rashomon of um the camera pointed up at the sun through the leaves of the forest and just going through the forest um that are like that's an incredible shot and it i think it counts as a long take but also is not like this kind of thing um the other one is uh i think it was mizaguchi who who does a lot of long takes um and my favorite mizaguchi is um who gets it and so but i'm like i don't know if there's a specific one that i have in mind as like this is great um but like he would just let a camera sit and would just film for a really long time um Mm -hmm. in a way that like just lets you occupy a space and just like people in that space um and again it's not always like impressive or showy but it's just like like this is a thing that i liked in um, the more theatrical in terms of like 
play theater um, parts of No Regrets for Our Youth was like, there was that, just that, like a long take was, that was them moving around her room while they're having the conversation about her wanting to leave home. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was just like letting them act during it. So sometimes I think those are the ones that like really stand out to me and that I enjoy is not where it's like, let's look at how well we can choreograph all of this action during a long take. Um, but like, sometimes I just enjoy when it's just like, let's just like really linger on these people. Let the actors just like really perform and act for like an extended period of time. Um, and just be able to like, in, enjoy, like hear these people in this space and just like linger on it. So yeah, I don't know if I have a specific one that comes to mind. The, like the, the 2010s kind of like, in some ways ruined the long take for me. Um, because I think like, I think there's a couple things. I think there is the, the, and this is long before the 2010s, but like I'm getting to it, I'm building to a point. Um, there is the, the hospital action scene in hard boiled. Um, there is, um, like the, the long takes in, um, children of men, and then there is like uh Birdman like winning a zillion Oscars. And I felt like, especially after Birdman and somewhat after Children of Men, like long takes became this very in vogue thing, especially once like when Marvel the the Daredevil Marvel show each season would do another more elaborate in one episode of the show would do another more elaborate, um, like long take fight scene where in season three, there's like a 12 minute, uh, long take fight scene. Um, and, um, like, I think it's like a very easy way for people to get clicks. Um, and it's showy, especially if you can do something like the hard boiled fight scene, like it, that like, I I think people are impressed by these and I think they like drive engagement um, in like sort of like peripheral material um, and like, like in the media, like you'll just get articles about it. Like I Googled best long takes and there's just like the first page is just like every single movie website, like, Screen Rant, Screen Crush, IndieWire, uh, Collider, the BFI, like, all of these, like, websites just have, like, listicles of the 15 best long takes, or the best long takes of 2020, or all these sorts of things. Uh, I think they're just, like, things that people are impressed by, and it, it sort of ruined it for me. It is, like, a thing that I enjoy, but, like, it feels like we all just need to take a break from them. You know, like it feels like we've maybe exhausted this space and not that there's nothing new we could do in this sort of style, but that like we get it. (laughs) Yeah. One that like, if I'm doing one that's in the spirit of this, um, I do kind of enjoy. So there's a, have you seen atomic blonde? No. Um, so there is a, it actually is in a, a stairwell. Um, there's an extended fight scene that is honestly probably a few long takes. Like there are moments where, um, the camera does a whip or like goes through a doorway or something, um, in a way where it'd be like, 
like I can watch it closely and see like, oh, okay, they put a cut in there. Like they, they got to this part where the camera whips and then you do the camera whipping again when you're like starting the next take. Um, and you can like, because it's like whipping and uh, the image is kind of shearing as part of that like camera moving really quickly, it becomes easier for you to like put in an edit where people are not going to see it. Right. Um, but the reason why that one works for me is not just that it is like, it is impressive to see this long fight, but it also, I think is like, actually demonstrating something which is that like you are seeing the people get tired like i think both the actors as well as like the characters are just getting really exhausted and so there's a part at the end where they've just been fighting it like it's like at least seven minutes or something that the scene um and it's like that moment where they're they're both trying to like continue to fight each other and yet are so exhausted that they are like stumbling and falling down. Um, and so it's just like these shots of like, <laughs> you know, it's an extended take of like, here are these two people in a room just like stumbling into the wall and then like trying to get back up so they can keep fighting. Um, and that's the part that works for me is because it, again, like what works for me in these long takes is where you can just have people like acting and being in a space and you just like see the actual time of these like people trying to move through that space um, in a way that's not always like the part of it that's exciting for me is not the choreography of that fight. It is the part where you're getting to the end and it's just like, here's a shot of the room and these people are just falling into the wall and, and trying to get, like get up and punch each other um, where I'm like, okay, yeah, this... <laughs> This is working for me now because they're really tired. They're really tired of this long take and they just want it to end. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it, it happens in a stairwell. I mean, it's like I, most of the fight like goes up and then down the stairwell. Um, so it's a fun action movie. Um, um, the other thing I was going to say, cause I was scrolling through one of those, um, like, uh, articles that's like list of best uh long takes in movies um and i don't know that i like i don't know that i'm shouting out this one in particular because i i can't think of what it is off top of my head but in the article it was like oh this one really long scene of robert redford taking a phone call in all the president's men uh and one all the president's men is a great movie uh and two um i think my favorite long takes are ones that are more about letting actors do their job without interruption more than they are about um impressing me with choreography you know um yeah i i i certainly there are times where i'm like oh my god the choreography um but like mostly i am more interested um more i am more interested in like you know, um, just letting actors act. I think that's like one of the big things about like the difference between like my taste in movies now and my d taste in movies as a teen is that like, I just care more about like letting actors do their job and like portraying characters, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the, the fun fact that Rick included here is, um, that, uh, so Rick says I was, 
uh, in the audience for a QA with Toe, and someone asked about this shot, and the street was apparently too narrow for the cranes they typically use, so they are tearing down and building parts of the crane that they were on while this shot was happening. That Fucking is, great. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Have you seen that video of, like... I don't really like the raid movies, but have you seen that video of how they did that one shot in the raid movies where, like, um, like the camera goes from, like, one car to the next in a long take? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking great. It's a fucking... It's way better than the raid 2, honestly. Like, that, that video of how the camera went through that scene, better than the scene itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is that sometimes it like it does it is just a thing that drives engagement because often the story behind how they did it is actually better than the take itself. Yeah, you're just like, wow, that's that's incredible, um, and then you watch it, and you're just like, oh, that was cool. <laughs> um, um, before we get to the the next email, I just wanted to touch on um. I, re- I refresh Twitter because I'm a little tipsy and I'm not uh, on my best podcast discipline. Um, normally, I don't check Twitter during podcasts, but I'm a little tipsy. Um, you're you're just lying. You check Twitter during. Meow <laughs> <laughs> meow. Um, M just tweeted um, that uh, it's tragic they never made a sequel to that Tintin movie, um, and the Hobbit movies really took everything from us. And I just want to echo that. Um, that Tintin movie is really good. People should watch that. That's yeah. got a really good long take, but long takes are not fucking impressive in 3D animation. <laughs> but it is yeah. a really good long take. <laughs> um, this is the thing of, I'm sure we'll watch more Satoshi Kon, um, but there, there's stuff with Satoshi Kon that, um, and talking about animation where, uh, like, What's actually really impressive about animation is how short you can make actions. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, a big thing that he talks about is people are, like, Millennium Actress in particular is one that famously people are like, oh, you could have easily done this as, like, a live-action film. Um, and he's like, that may be true, and yet I can have a, like, single shot that is a, a gesture of, like, motion, and I can have that be, like, five frames or something um and have that motion like be conveyed in a way that would just be impossible to shoot (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and that is like that is something that animation can do that people don't realize i need to see more see more satoshi Kon stuff yeah just like period um i feel like at some point we'll like just watch all satoshi Kon. it's gonna happen in the fullness of time at some point, I'll just yeah. like paprika. At some point, I'll just be a normal person and like paprika. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> it's not my favorite Satoshi Kon, although it's really beautifully animated. Um, but I think Perfect Perfect Blue is like he he made the best film ever, and then kept making films and never made the best film again, but still made the best film and then got close with some of them. So Perfect Blue is so good. It's so fucking good. <laughs> Um, it's like illegal how good it is. It's, Perfect Blue is so good because it's like it's all that right. Like it is all the drama of like what happens in that movie, and like ultimately the stakes are like the career of a direct-to-video uh, actress. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, like ultimately, like the 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 stakes of that movie 
are like all captured on like a magnetic film, you know? Like it's all VHS shit. <laughs> like yeah. it will not matter in five years. Like <sighs> Perfect Blue's so good. Oh, I fucking love it so much. Don't watch Perfect Blue tonight. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish recording this podcast first. Yeah, okay, fair. Um, what do you mean when you say you Han Solo to... is a cat boy and what are some other cat boys in the ornate stairwells catalog? Um <laughs> That's from Crystal. Thank you, Crystal. Yeah. Crystal is like our biggest um, fan, I feel like. Um other than yeah, Juo. I... It's between you two. Yeah. You two can hunger games it out. <laughs> um to some degree, Juo like I feel like Juo is, like, slightly less of a Ghost Divers fan than Ina, and, like, maybe slightly less of a Ornate Sterols fan than Crystal, and yet is a bigger fan of both of them than I think either of them are of both of them currently. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still feel like Juo is my biggest fan. Um, <laughs> In much the but, same way that Regs like, is my biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not, like, with an individual podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is with my podcast output overall, uh, where I really just feel the love from, from Juo. Um, <laughs> Juo so is probably a need... bigger fan of Garfred Aloud than I am. I don't know, but that feels right. I feel like the biggest fan of Garfred Aloud right now. Well, one is Alex, who doesn't like the tweets, but has been like a huge fan of Garfred Aloud since uh, before Garfred Aloud The Return. Mm-hmm. Back original Garfred Alive days. Um, but I feel like the other biggest one, the one who likes my tweets the most is Kim. Um, really? Kim a big fan of Garfred Alive. Okay. Yeah. Did not know that. Um, so what do, what do I mean when I say that Han Solo is a cat boy? Um, should I just fully get in? I feel like I touched on this, but should I just fully get into the taxonomy of cat boys? Give us the, give us the cliff notes. Okay. So, my friend Kitty um, was doing a Google image search for Catboy and uh, found the, I forget what show it's from, but there's like some kid show character. Just like all the top results were uh, PJ Masks, were, were Catboy from PJ Masks. And he was like, this isn't right. Um, like, people need to know what what are Catboys. Um, but also wanted to put forth that like, Catboys really is a term that extends beyond, like, the idea of... Like, there's, like, the very literalist thing of Catboys, which is that it's, like, an anime boy who has cat ears and a tail, mm-hmm. right? But that's not what the taxonomy of Catboys is talking about. The taxonomy of Catboys is talking about that, like, that specific visual image actually refers to, like, a greater trope that exists... Um, in anime, but also in, like, media more broadly. And so the characteristics of a popular Catboy. Um, so in the Catboy zone, these are these are things that, like, define a Catboy in the broadest sense. Uh, powerful feelings. Cute. Probably had a crush on one in high school. And turns into a puddle the second they receive attention. Um, and then the two, like, really important ones that are, are not characteristics of a cat boy is directness and honesty with feelings um so i often kind of like simplify this to like is not honest or direct 
with the powerful feelings that they are having. Um, and that is like cute. And there's some subjectivity of like having a crush on one, but um, you know, and and I think also this like receiving attention and, and becoming like a puddle while receiving attention is also a part of this. Um, the other key thing here is that in order to be a cat boy, you do not need to be a cat or a boy. Um, neither of those are prerequisites to be a cat boy. Um, this is like, this is like a personality descriptor. Uh, it, it is talking about characters as like personality archetypes, not as, as physical characteristics. Um, and then that's divided into three main archetypes, which is the little cat, the big cat and the Cheshire cat. So the little cat never makes eye contact, would rather be gaming and vanishes from this ethereal plane. The second they're off frame, uh, big cat is in everyone's everything sleeping on your keyboard right now and still doing Jojo's poses on TikTok. And then the Cheshire cat, um, has that Paul Rudd side smile, probably a Bond henchman and, uh, Kitty, someone somehow has the most merch of these cat boys because he's a mess. Um, and I, I think really liking Cheshire cats involves some amount of like, like they're the most, like there's good in them (laughs) of the archetypes. Um, I, I can save them. I can fix them. Um, and then uh, to align it onto the the classic modern alignment chart, which is, of course, children yelling McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. Uh, little occupies the we have food at home corner. Big occupies the McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's corner. And then Cheshire occupies the pulls into the drive through as children cheer uh, orders a single black coffee and leaves. Uh, corner so that that's kind of like the breakdown of cat boys but really it is talking about like what does like how does this character operate um and i think in some ways also like what makes this character uh like attractive or appealing uh, as like a character why why do people like this character maybe not an individual person likes them but like why are they a a character who is like that people would have a crush on and I think this is why Han Solo is a cat boy, which Kitty also agrees with and, and put forth as part of the original taxonomy. Um, because throughout the movies, Han Solo like has these strong feelings, but is not very direct with them. Like we talked about uh, Empire Strikes Back and, and how Han Solo is like being really snippy and mean about stuff where really it's just like, just talk to Leia about like how you feel like you had something and now she's like playing it off and doesn't seem to care about you and that you're like leaving. Um, but instead he's a jerk about it, which I think Catboys can sometimes veer into to jerk territory. Um, so yeah, Han Solo is a cat boy. I don't know if you have more questions about why I think Han Solo is a cat boy. Um, no, that one feels self-explanatory to me. I have questions though. Um, okay. are there any cat boys in the hunger? Um, Maybe Susan Sarandon? Yeah, maybe Susan Sarandon. Um, Are there any Catboys in No Regrets for Our Youth? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, everyone, everyone feels a little too direct in their feelings, and then there's just, like, the fash guy you can fuck off. I'm going to ask a really uh, question that doesn't need to be asked. Uh, are there any Catboys in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Yeah, they are both cat boys. <laughs> <laughs> that is a movie of two cat boys being indirect with their feelings for each other. <laughs> uh, any cat boys in Rebels of the Neon God? Um, 
I definitely think um, that main kid is like the first type, the would rather be gaming type, you know? Yeah. Um, um, and no cat boys in Mulholland Drive, I don't think. Um, any cat boys in Red Peony Gambler 3? Um,. Not not that I can really think of. Um Wings of Desire. Um Odo Odo Zander's character might be a cowboy. It's kind of stretching. It's kind but... of stretching. Eight, Angels of the Universe. I think the main guy in Angels of the Universe is a catboy. Yeah. I think I think he is. Um. Yeah, I think he's a catboy. I don't think the other three. I don't think any of the other three are catboys. I think Aki. I, I. I can't say it right anymore. I think Akira is a movie uh with catboys in it. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some catboys in Akira. Yeah. Um. So, there you go. Catboys and stairwells yeah. movies. Um. Crystal's other question. Why is Yoda such a punk in Empire? I feel like someone who lived through the fall of the Jedi might be a little more humble about his understanding of the Force, but he treats Luke like an obstinate dumbass for asking perfectly reasonable questions. Uh, if you want to know why Yoda is such a punk in Empire, might I suggest watching uh, Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> a movie that uh, explains why Yoda is such a punk in Empire. Because <laughs> he is uh, fundamentally incapable of change and has been for centuries. Um yeah um sorry if that came off uh i'm flippant to you crystal i'm sure that you understand this i just was like (laughs) i i was silent for a second because i was letting my cat in because um lem was scratching at the door um so now lem has joined us everyone's favorite podcasting cat uh after you autumn i um uh, the War Rocket Ajax, the comic book podcast I listen to, does sell mugs um, with a picture of one of the host cats uh, that says Harrison is my favorite podcaster because Harrison can be heard on many episodes. <laughs> um, uh, and I keep thinking about buying it. I never have, but. Um, should get one made yeah. that says Lem is my favorite podcaster. We should. We should just steal their bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yoda sucks is the thing about Yoda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you you watch Empire as a kid and, you know, back when I was a kid, that those are the only movies we had. Um, no other movies in the history of the world have been created. It was literally just the three Star Wars movies. Um, and you watch it and you're like, well, this is just a funny little guy. Um, and he sure seems smart about stuff. Um, but actually he sucks. And he's always sucked. Um, he Yoda's just a fucking asshole. Um, and yeah, I I agree with you. I just I don't think he, I don't think he's someone who is actually like introspective or humble enough to to actually think about like, man, I sure fucked stuff up, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Yoda just thinks that he is great and the dark side is a bad thing. Um, and if people just stopped having feelings and caring about people, 
Um, if Luke just like didn't go try and save, you know, Han and Leia, um, and just kept training, like that would fix everything. Um, going to save Han and Leia though, that's where you get tempted to the dark side. So like, it's dumb to have feelings. I think it's what Yoda thinks. <laughs> I think and that's a really, that's a really bad way to exist. Um, it's a bad way to, to live your own life. And it's definitely a bad thing to teach to younger people than you that feelings are bad and that you shouldn't have them. <laughs> I, I, so I think, I think revenge of the Sith is a movie that is about this in some ways, but I also think that, um, revenge of the Sith is maybe like, Sometimes a bad movie at, like, communicating the things that it is about. I think it is about these things, but I think it is bad at sometimes signaling to the audience that it is about these things. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, the the thing about Yoda, and I think, yeah, I think Revenge of the Sith is, like, about this. It is about explaining why he's like this as a character. And the thing about Yoda is that he's been the Pope for 700 years um yeah and <laughs> when you have... that's that's too long to be the pope um i think being the pope for any amount of years probably fucks you up 700 years is a long time to be the fucking space pope he's been the space pope for 700 years and so when there is a galactic crisis um that could be solved by a um you know less than perfect observation of religious doctrine he just doesn't have any space for it he the only way that he has solved problems for 700 years is through like perfectly observing church doctrine and so like he just he can't do it he can't mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it also like it really does seem like um Yoda in particular has this like because all popes are going to interpret doctrine and like have the things that they care more about um and like even compared to some of the other Jedi like Yoda just really seems to be on this like nope no attachments like don't care about people in a way that like you know Mate, like there are other characters who like kind of do this, but not to the full extent. Like Mace Windu is also kind of in this space, but then like Obi Wan Kenobi is like pushing against it a little bit, but also not enough to like question his mentor when he's a Force ghost and is there with Yoda, and Luke's gonna like go fly off to save Han and Leia, and um, you know Obi Wan's just like, well, yeah, Space Pope's correct. Like, stop caring about people. That's the thing to do. <laughs> Um, but also Obi-Wan cares about people in a way that I think Yoda doesn't. Yoda just like fully ha- thinks that feelings are dumb, I think. Um, I, Nora and I were talking about this the other day a little bit because I started thinking about it. I was listening to a more civilized age and I was thinking about Yoda and I was thinking about like, why is Yoda the grand master of the Jedi order? Like what? And this is, I think, a result of the fact that there is not a lot of fiction that has explored the sort of, like, until now, until um, Disney is literally launching a, like, line of Star Wars media, the High Republic, that is uh, explicitly about exploring the, like, you know, the the thousand generations where the Jedi ruled the galaxy, you know, Um, and, like, 
for most of Star Wars and for the entirety of me caring about Star Wars, for like every piece of fiction of Star Wars that I care about, there has not been a ton of exploration of that like before the prequels when the galaxy seemed to just be chillin'. You know, um, there's Old Republic stuff about, like, the formation of the Republic, but there is not a lot of stuff about, like, when the things were just fine, seemingly. Um, Yeah. And I was thinking about that time, and I was thinking about, what would Yoda have done during that time? Is there fiction that explores that time and explains why he is the Grand Master of the Jedi Order, and why he has been the Grand Master for so long? And the thing that I realized is that for hundreds of years, Yoda has been the one that teaches the younglings. And so I I think that Yoda is the Grand Master because for hundreds of years, like, everyone who would vote on who Grand Master is was trained by Yoda. He is, the, he is their actual literal father. <laughs> to everyone in the order and so of course they made him pope of course they made him pope he's everyone's dad (laughs) um that's all that's all i was thinking about yeah um and he's a shitty dad hey god he's the worst dad he's a shitty dad the worst um star wars a movie about bad dads and the er bad dad People will tell you it's Darth Vader, but no, it is Yoda. Yeah. Because <laughs> Yoda was Darth Vader's bad dad. Yoda and Sidious were both Darth Vader's bad dad. Uh, yeah. And uh, they were just having a bad custody agreement sort of thing going on. <laughs> yeah. Anakin Skywalker had two gay dads going through a very messy breakup. Um, and both of them were just bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah. I don't have more podcasts. Do you have more podcasts? Um, not, not really. Other than the 10 minutes I was going to cut, this went like, this is like an hour and a half of podcasts. <laughs> Did not anticipate yeah. that. <laughs> Did not anticipate the light little bonus episode was going to run long. But uh, I think we did a good episode. <laughs> um, you You know what talking to me is like. No, I don't. I exert this influence on podcasts. Um, I've never recorded a short podcast in my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> this is also why my my terrible idea of Connor and I doing a podcast where we read a single chapter of the Camardi High School manga and then record an episode about it every week um, is a terrible idea because somehow we would record for like an hour about uh, four pages of a manga. <laughs> I don't know how we would do it, but we would do it consistently. <laughs> Anyway, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. I'm hitting stop. Fuck.
Bella Lugos is dead. 